Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, June 8th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we recap a pretty exciting Orioles win, 9-3, over the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday night. Orioles hit five homers, the offense was going up and down the lineup, and they come up with the W in the first of a two-game series. Then we'll talk about the newest Oriole as the O's made a waiver claim on Tuesday, picking up right-handed pitcher Austin Voth off of waivers from the Washington Nationals. We'll talk about his career so far, why the Nats gave up on him this year, but what he still could bring to the Orioles and how he will fit in on the active roster coming up here this week. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So back here for a Wednesday episode. Sorry for not getting an episode out on Tuesday, as you can probably hear now and will hear throughout the rest of this episode. My voice not all the way back. I was struggling doing Monday's episode. I had no chance to give you a Tuesday episode. And we're going to power through this one. Should be okay. And then by tomorrow's pod, should be back and ready to go. Again, was a little under the weather last week. Was already starting to lose the voice. Uh, then got better you know, health-wise. But uh, spent the weekend at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. As uh, my beloved Maryland Terrapins were oh so close to winning the College Park Regional, advancing to the Super Regionals in the NCAA Division I Men's Baseball Tournament. But uh, Jeff Head, the home plate umpire, had other plans apparently in the eighth inning on Monday night. Uh, You can blame him for most of my voice being gone and no episode on Tuesday. But I'm back here with you, and first just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked on Orioles, free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may listen. Make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review if you can on those apps. It really, really helps us out a lot. And then, of course, right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, we thank you so much for that as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. It really, really helps out the pod. But again, thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, well, today's episode, a little bit about an Orioles win and a little bit about a new Oriole. And today's episode is brought to you by Blue Nile. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Orioles listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement rings as well. And use code LOCKEDON at checkout. So let's start with an Orioles victory in this one. O's win it 9-3 over the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. And really a pretty complete victory for the Orioles. One of their most complete victories that we've seen here in about a week or so. Uh, But with the victory, the O's get to 24-33 and on the season. Actually now with a better record than the Cubs who fall to 23 and 33 with that loss. First of a quick two-game series in Baltimore. First time that the O's and the Cubs have actually met in Baltimore since 2017. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 9-3 win over the Cubs. And the first thing you need to know, Austin Hayes went to a place where only three Orioles have gone before. That is a home run to the second deck 
out in left field. No, Hayes was not worried about the new Baltimore uh, out there in left field. He was clearing any wall. In fact, he was clearing the entire first deck of seats. He goes into the second deck with a solo home run in the fifth inning that made it an 8-2 Orioles lead at the time. O's were already well in front in the game, but he clobbers this ball off the bat for a home run. Just, quite frankly, a ridiculous ball off the bat. Goes 464 feet for Austin Hayes, 106.9 miles per hour off the bat, uh, off just a hanging breaking ball there in that fifth inning, 78 miles an hour, and he just clobbered that thing off of Alec Mills. Fourth Oriole to do it, again, if you remember, Michael Franco last year uh, in June went to the second deck for an Oriole homer. You had Manny Machado do it back in 2016, and Mark Reynolds in 2011 was the first Oriole to do it, but Austin Hay is joining that exclusive club with an absolute bomb into the second deck in left field. But the second thing you need to know is that that, no, was not the only Orioles home run hit on the night. Five homers for the O's in this one in their 9-3 victory. Of course, you had the Hayes home run, but the Orioles started this thing with a home run. Actually, this game was filled with a lot of homers as the Cubs hit two as well. Christopher Morell for the Cubs homered on the first pitch he saw of the game to make it one nothing Cubs, but the Orioles offense came right back at it in the bottom of the first inning. Cedric Mullins takes a breaking ball over the wall in right field for a leadoff homer, 380 feet, and then Trey Mancini follows him up with an absolute missile out to left center field, 108 off the bat, 426 feet as Mancini and Mullins go back-to-back to start the game and quickly give the Orioles a 2-1 to one lead, but of course, they were not done. Jorge Mateo got in on the action, conquering Mount Baltimore uh, in the second inning with a three-run homer that went 400 feet, 106 off the bat, that made it 5-1 Orioles. And uh, of course, you know, we mentioned the Austin Hayes home run in the game as well. And then it was finished off by Ramon Arias, who had a solo shot in the sixth inning to left center field, 395 feet, 102 off the bat, right into Elrod's corner. Actually basically hit like right down on the new angled wall out there in Elrod's corner. Thought uh, Ian Happ of the Cubs might have had a play on it, uh, but the ball landed you know, kind of right on top of that wall. It's the first ball we've seen land there so far this year with the new wall, but Arias got one, and those were just bombs away in this one, and it was certainly fun to watch. But the third thing you need to know as we jump over to the pitching side for the Orioles is that, you know, Kyle Bradish started this game, and he's had a couple of so-so starts where he's definitely struggled over his last couple times out. I would call this an up-and-down outing for Kyle Bradish. His final line in this one, he lasts just four and two-thirds innings, allowing two runs on four hits. Now, he struck out five batters, which is pretty good. He also walked five batters and allowed two home runs in the game and threw 105 pitches and did not even get through five total innings. A 6.45 ERA now for Bradish on the season. Now, on the plus side, only five hard-hit balls. And when you give up two homers, those are pretty much always going to be hard-hit balls. And then, you know, the other three were a couple of liners in play. But five hard-hit balls, not bad at all for Radish, who's really been getting hit hard recently. So I would say that was a big plus for Kyle Bradish. Big minus for Kyle Bradish is, well, the ball wasn't in play as much. That's why there wasn't as many hard-hit balls, because he walked five batters in four and two-thirds innings. He just 
can't have that. In the 105 pitches from Bradish, it was 51 fastballs, just shy, of course, of 50%. 24 changeups, 23 sliders, and 7 curveballs from the Orioles' rookie right-hander. Now, he did get 11 whiffs, which is a nice number, but when you throw over 100 pitches, you hope for a number like that. 3 on the fastball, 3 on the change, 4 on the slider, and the only curveball that was swung at was a whiff, so that was a nice little number for him. And 4 of the 9 sliders that were swung at were whiffs as well, but he was just not getting much done with the fastball today. Now, the average velo was right around where it is, 94-95, touched 97 a little bit early in the game, but only got three whiffs on 25 swings on that four-seam fastball. That is not a good number at all. Guys were putting that ball in play. Luckily for him, 15 foul balls on the fastball, so was able to get strikes with the pitch. But uh, he's got to be careful with that pitch. And I put on Twitter, on our at Locked on Orioles Twitter account during the game, you know, the slider, it was tonight, and continues to be his best pitch and he threw it the third most tonight. Now, I was impressed by his changeup, you know, that was 89 to 91 more than I usually am. And that was the second most used pitch on the night. But that slider is still the best offering for Kyle Bradish. He can attack guys with a pitch. He can throw that first pitch slider and get it for swings and misses. I just think he has to learn how to attack hitters even more with the slider in any count. And that's going to get him better because the fastball has good velocity, but it's not really missing bats right now. And that's becoming just a little bit of an issue. But I think overall, not a huge step up for Bradish because of five walks. I'll take it, see if he can combine less hard contact with less walks. And that's when we'll see what we saw in St. Louis when he had the 11 strikeouts. Fourth thing you need to know in this one, we'll jump back to the Oriole offense, is Adley got a hit. And, you know, with the early struggles, that's always a good sign for Rutschman, who went one for four with a single in this game. It was kind of a bloop single in the bottom of the eighth inning, but it was a nice little job to reach out and protect on a breaking ball and just kind of dunk it into right center field for a base hit. Also did have one hard hit ball in the game. It was his first at bat. It was a hard hit ground out. It was uh, 96 miles per hour, so just barely a hard hit ball. But still, you'll take the hard contact from the Oriole catcher, who again did a great job handling the pitching staff behind the plate, working with Bradish despite all the walks, and, you know, helped steal some strikes for the Oriole bullpen, which came in after Bradish and allowed just one run over four and a third innings between Baker, Bautista, Vespi, and Gillespie. So Rutschman still did his job, got a hit, which was nice. I know he's still batting 145, but the bat is going to come around. Do not worry. But the fifth and final thing you need to know is that, you know, it was really the entire offense that got in on the act. Obviously, the O's got five home runs from five different players, but every single player in the lineup, one through nine, had at least one hard hit ball on the day. And Rugnet Odor was actually the only player without a hit. You had seven guys who had one hit. You had Austin Hayes with two hits, a double and a homer, and Odor with no hits, although he did have a hard hit ball. Cedric Mullins had a one for four with the homer, but he did have three hard hit balls. Hayes had three hard hit balls. Mancini, his only hit was the homer, but he also had two hard hit balls. The Orioles really squared up. You know, the Cubs only used two pitchers in this game. It was interesting. Keegan Thompson, who came in with an ERA south of two, allowed seven earned runs on five hits over three innings. And then they had the long man Alec Mills come in, and he actually pitched pretty well, pitched the final five innings of this game, allowing just two runs. Uh, but they each you know, did give up a lot of hard contact, and the Orioles just jumping all over Cubs pitching in this 9-3 win as the Orioles take the opener of this quick two-game series. So the O's will go for the little two-game sweep 
on Wednesday night, and they may have a new arm in their bullpen trying to help them out. That is Austin Voth, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Nationals on Tuesday. And coming up next, I'll tell you a little bit about Voth's career so far and then how he could help the Orioles out of the bullpen or maybe even in the starting rotation. But first, got to tell you about BlueNile.com because whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Blue Nile has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style, so you can truly build the engagement ring of her dreams. Then Blue Nile's bench jewelers will then handcraft her perfect engagement ring, and each ring is one of a kind. And if you have questions, there's somebody on hand, a jewelry expert, 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find that perfect piece of jewelry. So make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Orioles listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. So use the code Locked On. That's code Locked On. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. So the Orioles win it 9-3 over the Chicago Cubs. And they also added not just a win, but added a new player to the organization and shortly to the roster on Tuesday. And that new player was Austin Voth, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Washington Nationals on Tuesday. Now to make room for Voth on the 40-man roster, Cody Sedlock, who had recently been optioned back down to AAA Norfolk after making his Major League debut, was DFA'd by the Orioles. But let's start with Austin Voth, his career so far, and you know kind of what he has looked like since getting to the big. So Voth, a 29-year-old right-handed pitcher who actually turns 30 later this month, was a fifth-round pick by the Washington Nationals in 2013 out of the University of Washington. Now, he's arbitration eligible after this season and would be a free agent after 2025 if the Orioles did hold on to him that long. But Voth, had pretty good numbers in the national system. Took him a little bit longer than he would have liked to get to the big leagues, but finally did get there in 2018. July 14th of 2018 made his big league debut, but only pitched 12 innings that year for the Nationals. Now, he came back and pitched a little bit more in 2019, made nine starts for the Nats in 19, and had a 3-3-0 ERA. And although he you know, really wasn't part of the Nats World Series run, he did pitch pretty well in the regular season for Washington that year. And then he came back in 2020 in the shortened season, and all that success from 2019 kind of just went away. He made 11 starts for the Nats in 2020 and had a 6.34 ERA. So a lot of questions surrounding Voth coming into 2021, and the Nats answered those questions by moving him into the bullpen. He made 49 appearances. Just one of them was a start in 2021. He had a 5.34 ERA in 57 in the third innings. He allowed 57 hits, struck out 59, walked 28, and allowed 10 home runs. The numbers still were not good for both. And once again, the Nats had him pitching out of the bullpen to start this season. Now, you would think with you know these kind of back-to-back -back years with bad numbers, why was he still in the Nats? Well, if you're not 
in the know, the Washington Nationals are a complete disaster this year, and so they're taking any arms they can get. And Austin Voth, obviously, is somebody who's been around. So he got another shot in the bullpen. And it has not gone well. He made 19 appearances out of the pen for the Nats this year before they designated him for assignment back earlier this week. And Voth had a 10.13 ERA for the Nationals this season. In 18 and two-thirds innings, he allowed 34 hits. He did strike out 18 batters and walk only six, but he allowed four home runs, and the 34 hits in less than 19 innings is an astronomical number. Now, what I will say is he's still throwing strikes, only six walks in 18 and two-thirds. And the other thing is he's not nearly as bad as his ERA has shown this season. Despite a 10.13 ERA for both, just a 4.96 FIP. That's fielding independent pitching, a stat that tries to do a better job of calculating ERA in terms of how good your defense is, different ballpark factors. So a 4.96 FIP tells you that, you know, if there weren't extenuating circumstances, he'd have an ERA closer to 5 rather than 10. Is that still good? No. But he's not a 10 ERA pitcher in terms of talent. In his MLB career, about 182 innings, a 5.70 ERA, about nine strikeouts and three and a half walks per nine. But the real issue came lately with the Nationals. He had a really bad start to the year for the Nats. Then he had about a 10 appearance run where he was pretty good. He'd actually gotten his ERA down below four. And then his last five appearances in a Nationals uniform were an absolute nightmare and basically forced you know, Rizzo and the Nationals to designate him for assignment. In his final five appearances out of the Washington bullpen, he threw just five innings, allowing 15 earned runs on 16 hits, only two strikeouts to three walks and two homers. That is a 27.00 ERA over his last five innings in a Nats uniform. It was just putrid. They essentially had to make the move that they did. So the question kind of becomes, well, how was the guy that was a fifth-round pick that was pretty good early in his career that's been in the big leagues this long? Well, what went off the rails? Well, you got to kind of look at what changed, at least with how effective his stuff was. In terms of what Voth throws at this point in his career, it's a four-seam fastball, a cutter, and a curveball. We'll start with the four-seamer. Throws it about 44% of the time. It's 93 to 95, and it's got a pretty good spin rate. You know, he's in the upper echelon of spin rate on the fastball. And when he throws that pitch up in the zone, it's really effective. And he tries to get it up in the zone as much as he can. And uh, that pitch, you know, when he's good, he gets guys to chase it up and out of the strike zone. And actually this year, the only time guys have really chased pitches against him are those high fastballs. As you see from a lot of guys, they throw the high spin fastball, you throw it up above the zone, basically rises to hitters, or it looks like it does, and you get swings and misses. So that's his most thrown pitch. Second most used pitch is the cutter. Throws that about 28% of the time. It's a pitch, you know, 89 to 91. It's been hit around this year. A 385 batting average against that pitch. He used to throw a slider. He's kind of changed that to a cutter over the years. Early in his major league career, it was a slider. But the last two or so years, he's kind of tightened it up, added three or four miles per hour, less break, and turned it into a cutter. And it really hasn't been a great pitch since he's done that. But the third pitch is the pitch that everyone needs to keep their eye on. Now, for some reason, he's thrown it the third most this year. It's his curveball. Also throws it about 28%. He's basically thrown like a handful less curveballs than he has cutters this year. 
throws that curve about 77 to 79 miles per hour. And the good on the curveball, it is in the 96th percentile in baseball in terms of spin rate. That's really, really good. Has one of the highest spin rates in the league among any guys with curveballs. That means basically, you know, in, in more old school terms, that curveball drops off the table suddenly better than almost any curveball in Major League Baseball. The issue with the curveball is that it's always been his strikeout pitch, his whiff pitch, his go-to pitch when he was good. That pitch has, for some reason, just abandoned him this year. He's lost a lot of the command on that pitch, and it has, frankly, killed him. The spin rate is still there. The drop-off is still there. It's still got really good movement profile. That's all still there. He just hasn't been able to command that pitch at all, and it showed. That curveball, these are legitimate numbers. And it's not like he's throwing this pitch you know, five or six times. He's throwing it 28% of the time in a good sample size. Opponents are hitting 533 against Voth's curveball this year with an 800 slugging percentage. You heard that right, an 800 slugging percentage. Now compare that 533 batting average against the curveball to last year when the curveball wasn't great, but they still only hit it at 254. In 2020, opponents hit just 167 against his curveball. And in 2019, opponents hit 176 against his curveball with a 48% whiff percentage. That means in 2019, when Voth threw the curveball, guys were hitting under 200. And when they were swinging, they were swinging and missing almost half the time when they swung at that curveball. 48% whiff rate is a ridiculous number on that pitch. So what the Orioles see here is basically, can we get that pitch back to where it was? You know, He's changed his cutter into a slider. He used to throw a splitter. He's completely dropped that pitch. Maybe the O's would try and bring that back as well. Maybe they try to get him to throw more sliders. But you're basically looking at a guy who's got a solid fastball and a really good curveball that he can't command right now. So the question becomes, can the Orioles get that curveball back? And if they do, what kind of role would they use Austin Voth in? And we will get to that in just a moment. But first, I got to tell you about our next partner, which is a product... I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health, more energy, and as you probably hear in these last couple episodes, I wanted to optimize my immune system a little better. But the question is, you know, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. And Athletic Greens, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, any kind of diet, you can incorporate AG1. It's got no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, and contains less than one gram of sugar. And it costs you less than $3 a day to invest in your body with AG1. And it, it was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues, ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, Cost him $100 a day, so he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and... Five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily 
nutritional insurance. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, also brought to you by BetOnline.net, your one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Of course, we've got the Major League Baseball season going on, plenty to bet on there, but you can look at the lines, you can look at the odds, you can check live scores, you can get injury updates on the NBA Finals. Warriors-Celtics tied at one, Game 3 is tonight. Or the upcoming Stanley Cup Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. We got the Colorado Avalanche into the Finals. They'll either play the Lightning or the Rangers. Get all the odds at betonline.net. It's really the perfect place to go for all your sports betting needs. And, you know, you can get it on your mobile device. You can get it on your computer. Anywhere you log on to the internet, you can go to betonline.net. You can even listen to podcasts like this one right there on the site. So again, for all your sports betting needs, go to betonline.net, where the game starts. So the Orioles get a win Tuesday, also get a new player in the 29-year-old right-hander Austin Voth. And we talked about you know, what his stuff, what his career has looked like. And you know, the question now becomes, what do the Orioles do with Voth? And whose spot does he take on the roster as well? Now, we do know, as I mentioned earlier, that Cody Sedlock was DFA'd to make room for Voth. Now, Sedlock came up. Last weekend, made his major league debut in Boston, pitched three innings, you know, gave up five runs, but looked okay, and then got sent down to AAA. Then he was DFA'd off the 40-man to make room for Voth because the Euros did not have an open spot on the 40-man roster. Now, in terms of Cody Sedlock, I'd say it's probably about 50-50 that he gets claimed by another team. If he doesn't, the Euros will certainly welcome him right back with open arms. He'd go right back to AAA Norfolk and try and pitch his way back onto the big league roster. But other than that, for the Orioles, what you're looking at with Voth is, you know, the O's are probably going to put him on the major league roster probably before Wednesday's game. I'm sure he'll be in an Oriole uniform. You're basically looking at a long relief option. I don't think he's going to get a chance to start, especially with Spencer Watkins about to come back as well. But he's going to be your long relief guy. Best case scenario, who turns into your right-handed Keegan Aiken on this team. But he can give you some length out of the bullpen, which the Orioles may need from time to time. He could potentially follow a guy like Spencer Watkins and maybe his first start back. But the O's got to get him to throw that fastball up in the zone and just try to find the command on that curveball again. Because I would tell him to basically ditch the cutter or throw it a lot less, maybe bring the changeup back, that splitter he threw, but be a fastball, curveball, heavy guy where you're not throwing any other pitch more than 10% of the time. It's all fastball, all curveball. Get that big curveball, overhand pitch, try to snap that thing off the table and command it better because basically this year it's either been in the dirt or down the middle and getting crushed. Again, remember, opponents are slugging 800 against that pitch. But if he can find the command of that thing again, he was he was good in 2019. If he can do that again, it's a nice waiver claim from the O's. And, you know, the Nats held on to him for so long. He was drafted in 2013. And nine years later, they just now finally DFA'd him after some really rough years. The Nats knew there was something in there that they tried to bring out. Just couldn't do it consistently enough. Maybe the Orioles think they can. Or maybe he's just a guy like Logan Allen, who the O's claim use him five or six times, then DFA him just to get some innings from somebody else. Or maybe there's something more there. And so we will see. But as I mentioned, Spencer Watkins was eligible to come off the injured list on Tuesday. O's didn't need him. Obviously started Kyle Bradish. But they're going to need Watkins probably to start 
you know, not tonight, but coming up soon. And the Orioles could activate Watkins today. He told the media on Tuesday that he's feeling fine. You know, the throwing is going well. O said they may, you know, wait a couple more days to activate him off the injured list. But within the next three or four days, it seems like Watkins is going to be back. So with Watkins coming and with both coming, the Orioles are going to need to open two spots on the active roster. So the final question becomes, who loses those spots? And you know, you could argue the way that Spencer Watkins was pitching before the injury. Remember a couple weeks ago, took the line drive right off the arm. He was lucky, only a bone bruise, nothing broke, no fractures, but still went on the 15-day injured list. He wasn't pitching well those last couple of starts. You could argue that Spencer Watkins should really just be DFA'd or optioned to AAA, and that's certainly a possibility here for the Orioles. But if they don't do that, they do want to bring back Watkins and Voth. Well, first you got to address Voth's spot on the roster because he's coming up today. You would think they're probably going to option a pitcher. So, I mean, you're really looking at three names, Nick Vespi, Logan Gillespie, and Brian Baker. Now, we've already seen Vespi and Gillespie come up, get optioned, and both come up again. Vespi and Gillespie each threw scoreless innings in the win on Tuesday night. Vespi the eighth and Gillespie the ninth. Vespi was quick with 10 pitches. Logan Gillespie let two base runners on, a walk and a single, threw just shy of 30 pitches. So maybe it's Logan Gillespie just because he's not going to be available for the next night or two after throwing 30 pitches. But what I would do is I'd let Gillespie run. I'd let Vespi run. I think Brian Baker could probably use a little time in AAA. He hasn't been great lately. He threw 25 pitches and gave up a run in the sixth inning when he pitched on Tuesday night against the Cubs. I believe he has options, and I think he could use just a little time in AAA to reset. And if I were the Orioles, if I were Mike Elias, I would send Brian Baker down to give the spot to Austin Voth. Now, you could also send down a position player. Obviously, you have guys like Tyler Nevin and Ryan McKenna who have options. I do not want to see Nevin go back down. He obviously came up when Chris Owings went on the bereavement list. Owings was activated off the bereavement list before Tuesday's game. Uh, they had opened a spot when they optioned Marcos Duplan down to AAA after Sunday's game. So Nevin stayed around with Owings back. But with those guys on the roster, you just don't need Chris Owings. So don't send Nevin down again. Don't send McKenna down again. Those guys have mastered AAA. Keep them in the bigs. Just DFA Chris Owings. This is the time. You're adding two pitchers. Okay, option Gillespie or option Baker is the pitcher, but make the position player move. Don't send down the prospect. It's time. It's it's time to get rid of Chris Owings. It's just time. It's got to be time. Do I think they're going to do it? Honestly, no, because I thought the O's are going to do it 10 times already this year, and they didn't, but it's time. I hope it's not Nevin. I hope it's not Vespi. I hope it's not McKenna. It really could be, again, I would DFA Owings, option Baker, and add Voth and Watkins to the roster. I would even consider just optioning Watkins or DFAing Watkins because he hasn't been great. But uh, the O's need the starting pitching, so Watkins will be back. And we will see what they do. And when they make those roster moves, I'll break them down on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. I will also recap Game 2 between the Orioles and the Cubs. Hopefully we're talking about a quick two-game sweep for the Orioles. And then we'll get you set for Orioles and Royals, a four-game series coming up at Kauffman Stadium. Still shiver thinking about that place as the O's will head there this weekend. But again, back to talk about all that on the Thursday episode. Until then, thanks for sticking around, bearing with the voice, which is mostly back and should be good to go by tomorrow. But I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.